Last week, as we looked at the advent of Christ, uh, we looked at the idea of hope. This morning we're going to look at peace. We've got uh, Larry and Bev that are going to come up uh, and uh, bring us into this uh, second time, the second uh, reflection of the Advent season, uh, looking at the idea of peace. Uh, They will be reading our scripture text for us this morning in doing so. Uh, So thank you. I'm reading from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Peace. We're going to look at that uh, this morning. <clears throat> this past uh, this past Wednesday, uh, we had this um, deep and profoundly theological discussion uh, at the well, and it was all around the idea of how do you answer the question when somebody comes up to you and says, "How are you doing?" How do you answer that question? Larry, how are you doing? Okay. Okay. Larry, how do you answer that question? Good. Uh, Leon, how do you answer that question? Well. Well, he's well. Anybody else? How would you answer that question? How are you doing, Cal? Fine. Fine. So, uh, some people would say I'm, uh, all things are well and good, so we get two of them at once. Uh, that idea uh, that we kind of joked about, uh, is actually going to come up in our understanding of how you might answer that question, really. But in a way that maybe we wouldn't typically think of here in our own context. We're, we're looking at this morning, uh, especially this idea that comes from the Old Testament uh, understanding of what peace is, that word shalom. And just like with many Uh, Hebrew words, Uh, there isn't one word that you could attach to shalom to give you the full understanding of it. There is, of course, that idea of peace. That's the most commonly understood uh, explanation of the word shalom, but it also has to do with uh, prosperity. It has uh, this idea of success with it, Uh, welfare, the state of health. Uh, friendliness is also wrapped into the word shalom. And then there's deliverance and salvation. It's a, it's a rich word when you begin to understand it and when you begin to see where it's used in Scripture. We only think of it typically as peace, but it is a very full word. There is um, 
many times what we think of uh, in that uh, word peace. Uh, we do it in, in greetings, at least uh, we hear that here in church and we see greetings that way in Scripture. Grace to you and peace. Uh, we, we pronounce peace as a greeting as we come into the presence of fellow believers as we gather in God's presence. Uh, when Jesus sent out the, the twelve uh, into the towns to begin to uh, practice carrying on the work that Jesus had started, giving them an opportunity to get their feet wet in ministry, he, he said this in Matthew 10, Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. When you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. There's this idea of greeting with peace that had a, a significance in that culture. When we were in uh, Lesotho for a couple of years, I, I liked the words that they would use um, when they would greet each other. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Peace be to you all. I like it when we would include that. Here it sounds hokey, even when we've done that. Maybe you don't feel that, but I know many of us is probably thought that when, when we um, do a time of mutual greeting and with the same peace that Christ has greeted you, greet one another with peace and we feel awkward in saying uh, peace, peace to you. It just doesn't, doesn't fit us as much as it does other cultures. But I really grew to appreciate greeting somebody with a, with a pronouncement of chotso me. Peace to you, ma'am. Chotso entare. Peace, sir. It carries a different understanding than just hello or hey. Now, there's something significant to that. There is something about uh, the word peace that's also tied to our well-being, our, our welfare, like we were talking about. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, is it well with you? Uh, and that understanding would be um, how are how are you in in your body? How, how is it going with you? Maybe body and mind together. Maybe your your context of living. Uh, when I ask how people are doing here, they might uh, say they had a good week, or uh, maybe they're still struggling with different things. But there is this idea of of peace being about um, a sense of welfare. Uh, Joseph, when he was uh, calling his brothers back and they were going to uh, go, go to their father and, and inquire of them, he, he said there in, in Genesis 43, and he inquired about their welfare, their peace is the word, their shalom. He, he inquired about their shalom and said, Is your father well? the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? He wanted to know about the peace of his father. Is it going well with him? Is he still living? Is he still healthy? That idea of, of our whole being as a physical being 
being in a place of peace. I can tell you, standing up here now, I have just a slight uh, discomfort in my left knee. I can tell that my whole body is not at complete peace. Uh, Maybe as you sit here, you have uh, different pains. Maybe as you sit here, you can feel things inside of you not the way they should be. Maybe as you sit here, even your mind is not at peace. And that's a, a thing that we struggle with in our world today too, where our minds are are still playing tricks on us at times. We have growing diseases in our country where our minds are not at peace. There is also that sense of peace of mind, uh, not in the sense of are you healthy in your mind, where you recall things, where you can process things, not, not that kind of peace of mind, but But peace of mind may be more associated with, uh, are you at peace with the way your life is? Are you at peace with the way you conduct yourself in this life? Uh, Do you live your life with a clear conscience? Even when we stumble and fall in this world, are you at peace knowing that I have confessed my sins And God has been faithful and just once again to forgive me of my sins. And so I have this peace of mind that I'm living yet according to the Word of God. Often that uh, lack of peace of mind comes because uh, something didn't happen the way it should have. I, I failed in one area of life or another. I did something, I said something that I shouldn't have. And I don't have peace about it. I know that thing kind of lingers out there someplace and it's unresolved yet and I'm not at peace. Or maybe you know that somebody has something against you and you don't have peace of mind because you know that there's this tension and um, brokenness in, in your relationship with somebody. You don't have that peace of mind. Many times when we think of peace, we think about uh, the absence of hostility. Uh, If you would use the word peace typically uh, in our culture, many of us right away would go towards uh, world peace, political peace, what we've talked about and prayed about earlier. Um, Peace that comes uh, from the absence of war or as maybe the result of war where there's finally peace. Uh, Judges... Uh, Judges is always talking about the this this fluctuating place of being at peace and not uh, and the cyclical place of where where God's people were enjoying peace in the land and then going against the word of God and being in judgment uh, under the word of God and they are now at war or being oppressed by others and they're not at peace and God brings about a judge to redeem them and bring them back to a place of peace where, where the hostility has ended. Judges 4.17, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. There was peace finally after this long drawn out time of conflict. There are 
feuding countries that continue to be at war with each other. And we think about <clears throat> peace in the Middle East. If, it would, if, if all of the countries in that region could just come to some sort of resolution, there would be peace and not this lasting tension and hostility. Uh, peace is preferable to having war. Peace is actually preferable. Preferable. Deuteronomy 20, at verse 10, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, the people of Israel that are going to be coming into the land of Canaan to take possession of the land that God was promising to give His people, when you draw near a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and you shall serve and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you will besiege the city. But peace is always preferable. If you could come to that resolution of the differences that one country has with another, understanding what it would take to bring about peace instead of going to war, that would be preferable. We are told to pray for peace. Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. There is this call that we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the, the peace of the presence of God in the world where God's people dwell. Peace be within you. There's also this idea, when it comes to peace, of relational peace. And this one can be a difficult um, uh, peace to try to navigate through. Uh, somebody has said before, there's no pain like family pain. When there's not peace in the home, uh, the home is a, a terrible place to exist. Uh, we have, we have uh, even more and more in today's world, uh, the things that have been dividing us, whether they're political or, or uh, scientific or uh, policy issues or whatever, we have this growing sense of uh, a place where the families, families themselves, family... Family units, uh, mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and brothers and sisters, uh, we're not at peace with each other. We have such opposing views of things that the family is not a, a place of peace. And maybe uh, you get together with family gatherings these days and you wonder if it will be a peaceful gathering because of the things that may or may not be brought up. Relational peace is particularly painful. Uh, so Jesus addresses that in his Sermon on the Mount. And he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Often that takes uh, a bit of sacrifice or careful negotiation to bring about peace but it's something that we're called to do in, in our call to be more Christ-like. 
Romans 12:18 says as far as it's possible as far as it depends on you live peaceably with all you and I have a responsibility to be people of peace uh, agents of peace uh, with our family with our communities with the with the world that God has placed us in we have that responsibility that call to be peacemakers not just uh, avoiders, uh, maybe we're better at that, but peacemakers, the thing that takes a little bit more effort. There is also um, one of the foundational aspects of peace, the idea of covenantal peace. And for us to miss this uh, would leave us wondering yet how how peace is achieved in our world. It's something that's rooted so deeply. This idea of peace is, is so deeply rooted in, the, in what God will do, what God has done. Uh, God is the one who would bring about peace, and only in God would you find that. Uh, one of the favorite verses of, of many people, and some of our members here too, uh, talks about that. Uh, when, when God was speaking of his people that had gone astray and finding themselves in a place of judgment on the one hand, but promise and covenant faithfulness on the other. God says in Jeremiah 29:11, I, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for peace, plans for welfare, and not for evil to give you a hope and a future. God has plans to give us peace. It is God's design to bring His people to a place of, of well-being in relationship with Him. And that has always been His covenantal approach to His people. As much as we see in different places His judgment against the people, it's, it's to bring them back into covenant relationship so they are in a place of peace that God would bring about. But it is based on a right relationship. When God is talking to Moses and delivering a message through Moses to the people about receiving blessings. In the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 26, he's talking about being blessed as God's children and what that looks like. At verse 1 of chapter 26, uh, you shall... Not make <laughs> copy and paste sometimes doesn't work. You shall not make for yourselves idols or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figure stone or bow down to it in land, for I am the Lord your God. There is a an aspect of being in a place of peace with God that has to do with our reaction, our response, and our devotion to Him. And as long as we continue to follow what He has commanded us to do, to stay in right relationship with Him, it will go well. At verse 6 of Leviticus 26, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. 
And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. As we continue to follow in in the pathway that God has set forth for us, we will have peace. It's the way He's designed it. It would go on to tell of the things that happen that are absent of peace as we go against what He has laid out for us. But covenantal peace has this element of being obedient to the call of God as well. You know the first use of the word shalom in Scripture? The first time peace was used was with Abraham. As God is making His covenant promise to him to be his God, to give his descendants the land, to make him into a great nation, and to be a blessing to all the world, as he's making that covenant promise, and as the the stage has been set with the animals cut in half and a pathway going through there and God passing through those halves of the animal, uh, uh, securing the covenant in his own name, he says to Abraham, in the midst of all that, as for you, as for you, he says, you shall go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. There is this idea of, of peace that is uh, so connected with both the covenant promises of God and how he will then bring that to be a blessing to his people. To rest in peace is a God-given a covenant promise that as those who pass on with faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, those in the Old Testament that trusted in God and the works of God and the, the promise and word of God, those people that had that faith, the same faith that Abraham had, would lie down and rest in peace at the end of their days. What a wonderful promise that is for us. We often remark about how people would survive the death of somebody so close without the knowledge of the peace that God gives by having faith in Him. The last time the word shalom is used in the Old Testament is in Malachi 2, verses 5 and 6. My covenant with Him, speaking of Levi, the priest, was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. The faithful priesthood of the Levites was a, uh, in a covenant of peace the truly the fullness of peace is found in the messianic promises that we have. The fullness of peace comes about uh, at the birth of Christ. The fullness of peace is, is ushered in when God Himself steps into the world as a man and brings about a peace that was only hoped for, recognized to some degree, but now Jesus would bring a peace that would last. Even as the, the angels announced 
the coming of the Messiah to the shepherds. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. That messianic priest, priest, peace uh, comes already at the birth of our Savior. There is this idea of messianic peace that goes beyond just His, his coming, but what He does in the things that He performs. Uh, if you remember in our reading in the book of Mark, there was this woman who had a, a, a long-standing bleeding condition, 12 years in fact, and she was trying to find a way to, to be healed from that. And so when Jesus had recognized that this had happened, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Not only did she find um, peace in her body, finally, but Jesus also gave to her peace in her soul where she had exercised faith in Him. Fuller healing than just her body was to be experienced as well. Your faith has made you well, both in the physical and the spiritual as that comes about. Paul speaks about that messianic peace uh, that's come to all that all the people that receive him in Ephesians chapter two. He speaks there at verse eleven. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through Christ, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. That messianic peace brings about reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation of ourselves to God and our relationship to him, but reconciliation among brothers and sisters and, and maybe even people we would have never considered to be brothers and sisters. The Jews and the Gentiles were uh, quite distinct groups of people. Those that grew up with the covenant promises of God and understood to some level of where peace would be and where it's brought about from and those that were um, not God's people and were still outside of that promise of peace until until through the cross of Christ he would bring them in as well and bring about peace in two different groups of people as they find their identity in Jesus. Uh, again, what we'll be celebrating next week as we come to the table, being reconciled uh, to God by faith in Jesus and his sacrifice 
not only for those that think we have the right to be children of God, but those that would have always considered themselves alienated from God and would have never thought they had a place at the table. Peace with God comes through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to reconcile us to the Father. All these things that may be missing uh, in our lives, uh, relational peace, um, peace of mind, uh, peace of body, uh, peace with our peace with our neighboring countries. All of these things, all of these are uh, still out there. But to find the the fullness of peace, uh, you would only find that in Jesus. There's not another place in the world where you can find peace. Sometimes. Wars happen, and we're hearing about them again. And, and Mark reminded us, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And the rumors of wars are, are spreading widely right now. And so we're worried if, if another major war might happen. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for war and a time for peace. There's a place for both of them. Oddly enough, Jesus said when he came, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He is the Prince of Peace, where true peace is found, but it would be a kind of peace that would be a dividing kind of peace. Those that would stand with him in peace and reconciliation through, the, through his own blood and sacrifice. And those that would stand opposed to him, rejecting that peace, rejecting his sacrifice, rejecting what he offers them. But Jesus off, offers that peace to anyone who would receive it. The very end of the book of Revelation, there is this sense of peace that uh, we're longing for yet in that, uh, in that same spirit of the advent of the, the coming of the Christ child. As we remember that, we, we're also looking forward to the advent again of our Lord and Savior. Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Peace exists through the sacrificial life and death and the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And we're going to celebrate that next week as we, as we come to the table here on this earth, but waiting for the fullness of peace to be expressed at the second advent of our Savior when He comes again and we sit at the table with Him. I hope next week 
we're at peace with one another as we do that. Even as we wait for the fullness of that peace when he comes again and we sit at the table with Jesus. That's the peace we're waiting for. Father, we are so grateful that peace is still a reality in our world. As much as uh, it doesn't always seem that way, as much as we hear of hostility, violence, hatred, division, as much as we see that in individuals and in families, as in, in communities and in countries, we see that there is a lack of peace, but it does not mean that it's gone. It does not mean that the hope of it and the, the promise of it has vanished. In fact, we can be at a place of peace, whether it's even our bodies that are not at peace, we don't feel well, or our minds are not right and healthy anymore. We can still have peace. It is still available to us. As we consider the outcome of our faith, our bodies and our minds are going to be healed. And so we have great peace in that. And as much as our relationships are struggling here at times in this earth, we know that peace is available and we are called to be those peacemakers. And peace can exist and should exist, especially in this family here, your church, your bride. We pray that peace would exist in our world in every level. Not just something that might get us through a day or a skirmish. But we long for and we, and we pray that you would give us opportunities to be peacemakers in our world. To hold out that offer of peace to all those who struggle. Those that are still uh, locked in darkness. In a place where it seems there is no peace. So Jesus, thank you for the great sacrifice of yours that brought about the peace of God and peace with God. May it flood us and fill our minds again today and may it overflow into those people around us as well. We pray this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.